Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Chronicles. The book of 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament. And we'll continue with our series of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Now we're in a section of Jesus, the lineage of Jesus Christ where we're hitting the kingly line. And we've already hit David and we saw him as the man after God's own heart who ruled within the United Kingdom when both Israel and Judah was still together. After that, his son Solomon ruled. And Solomon ruled for 40 years during that United Kingdom. And then after that, we had Solomon's son by the name of Rehoboam, who by the way had every opportunity to walk with the Lord, but he continued to exchange uh, things for a weaker goal. Instead of having God, he had to be satisfied with his own life. He had switched uh, uh, gold and had uh, Shishak, the uh, pharaoh of Egypt, take the gold and he replaced it with bronze to try to make it look like everything was all right and everything was not all right. He exchanged wisdom for foolishness. Well, as Rehoboam passed from the scene, his son Abijah had Abijam took uh, control and he had a wasted reign. Three years he reigned and it was just there and gone because he did not seek the Lord. He did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. And it's interesting as you go through these kings and you see God's descriptive. Now for man, we look at uh, kings and we say, what did they accomplish? What did they get done? What did they do? What achievements do they have? What empires do they build? What wars do they win? But when you look through the book of Kings, the book of Chronicles, we could see God's commentary on each of the kings by their heart. You remember Rehoboam? It says that his heart, uh, that he had did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. For Abijam, we saw this morning, that for Abijam, his heart was not perfect before the Lord, his God. And we had studied him that he was someone who was living off the blessings of someone else. And when he got removed from those blessings, uh, it was just heartache, disappointment, uh, uh, no peace. And now as we come to the next king in line, which would be Asa, we find our way into the book of 2 Chronicles chapter number 15. The book of 2 Chronicles chapter number 15, and we come to Abijam's son, Asa. And Asa is going to change things around. His grandfather and his father both had failed God. Their hearts were not right with God. And Asa was determined that he was going to take a different course of action. Notice with me, if you don't mind, as we just introduce this in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter number 15. The book of 2 Chronicles chapter 15, and notice with me starting at verse number 1. 2 Chronicles 15 and verse 1. And the Spirit of God came unto Azariah, the son of Odin. And he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, 
he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now for a long season, Israel had been without a true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. And in those times there was no peace to him that went out nor to him that came in, but great vexations were upon all the inhabitants of the countries. And the nation was destroyed of nation and city of city, for God did vex them with all adversity." Be ye strong, therefore, and let not your heart hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, let's mark a phrase that we will see in the life of Asa carried out as this preacher came and addressed Asa. And notice with me in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter number 15. 2 Chronicles chapter 15 and notice the promise that was given that Asa is going to pick up over and over and over in his life that says, if ye seek him, he will be found of you. And we see this promise repeated over and over and over in the scripture. That if ye seek him, he will be found of you. With the Lord's help, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And I thank you that you are a God that is near and not a God that is far off. And that you are just they're available and that you are waiting for us to come and seek you. I'm asking that we would understand that principle as we carry it out and see it in the life of Asa and see this important of seeking after you, walking with you, abiding with you, Lord, and that you would draw us near to you and that you would help us from our folly and our foolishness when we dare to trust things ourselves and try to muddle through and try to accomplish things in our own strength without seeking you and seeing that the best we can do is ruin and failure and messing things up, where it's you that gives peace and victory in all things. Lord, help us even tonight to be more aware of our need of seeking after you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. The Bible says over and over this promise of seeking God and it is always attributed with the promise that if you seek God, He will be found. Well, some people will say, well, why does God initiate that? Why doesn't He just make Himself apparent to everyone? Well, that's a good question. Some people believe that Playing, uh, seeking God is almost playing like spiritual hide and seek. And that God is always around the corner. So you look and he's always just around the corner. And everywhere you look, he, you just barely miss him. Maybe you get a little glimpse of him, but you look and you look. And he's just always just, you just missed him. Well, let me tell you, that's not how seeking God works at all. Seeking God is just like when my kids were little. I have three kids. And when they were little, they liked to play hide-and-seek. And the hide-and-seek games would often go like this. All right, Daddy, you go count. All right, one, two, three. And at that age, my kids didn't do anything apart. And so they would travel in packs, which would make a lot of noise. Near the pitter-patter of little feet. And they would dive into the bedroom underneath the bed. And 99, 100, okay, here I go. And so I go into the bedroom where I heard the pitter-patter of little feet and open it 
up. Are you in here? And you could hear a little giggling under the bed. And all right, well, let me look. Are you in the closet? And you hear, shh, shh, shh. And then, oh, there must be in the bathroom. Are you in here? And then you hear, no. Oh, guess not. Maybe they're not in here at all. Let me go ahead and go look somewhere else. And then you would hear, look under the bed. And you'd go look under the bed. And they go, oh, daddy, you found us. Why did my kids hide? Because they wanted to be found. And they wanted me to put forth the effort to look. God is a God who does not want to hide from us. He is a God who wants to be found of us. And he's a God who wants us to put forth the effort just to look for him. May I say that's one of our biggest problems is that we don't seek after him. There are times as Christians we could take it for granted. Oh sure, God hears my prayers. And then we deliver him a laundry list of things to do. God, here's the checklist. You get this done. And when I get home by five, I'll check off and make sure you got it accomplished. Well, God's not our servant and he's not our slave. But we often treat him secondhand. And we usually seek him in order to get something from him. Again, one of our biggest mistakes is we often seek God's hand before we seek his face. That God wants us to pour forth the effort to find him, to be with him, to look for him, to acknowledge him. This is the idea of seeking God. It's not the idea of finding a servant to go get something accomplished. It's not the idea that God is just some mystical being who's always somewhere where you're not. God is a God who wants to be known. He just wants us to take the time and effort to look. Now, as we see Asa's life, we've already explained that Rehoboam, his grandfather, had messed things up horribly. In fact, because of his foolishness, because he prepared his heart not to seek the Lord, he made foolish decisions and the kingdom was split in two. Ten tribes went up north, became Israel, and followed after Jeroboam. Rehoboam was left with Benjamin and Judah. And that was it. And now he had to rule this kingdom that had just been chopped off. And he's left with behind. And it was all because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. His son came to reign, Abijah. And Abijah's thing is that he knew God was God. In fact, he even called upon him once. He knew that if he asked God, God was willing to answer prayer. The problem was is that he wasn't willing to abide with God. He wasn't willing to look for God. He just, yeah. And because of that, he had an empty, fruitless reign. Remember, as we saw this morning in John chapter 15, that Christ wants us to bear fruit, but it only comes by abiding in him. And Abijam didn't leave a mark in history at all. Just missed out on everything that God had for him. Well, Asa had enough sense in him and enough training and God working in him that he said, I'm not going to make the same mistake my grandfather did. I'm not going to make the same mistake my father did. I'm going to do something different. And he learned this idea of seeking after God. If you don't mind, let's kind of just examine Asa's life really quick. Turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 14 and let's learn a little bit about Asa's life as he learned this principle of seeking after God. The first thing I'd like to bring to your attention is Asa sought the Lord early and received peace. 
Asa sought the Lord early and received peace. Notice with me in 2 Chronicles 14 and notice with me starting at verse 1. So Abijah slept with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa his son reigned in his stead and in his days the land was quiet ten years. And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. For he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places and break down the images, and cut down the groves, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers, and to do the law and the commandment. And he took away out of all the cities of Judah the high places, and the images, and the kingdom was quiet before him. And he built cities in Judah for the land had rest and he had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he say, said unto Judah let us build these cities and make them walls and towers and gates and bars while the land is yet before us because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. We see that Asa sought the Lord early, and he received peace. Now again, whenever God repeats something, he's placing an emphasis. Notice how many times just in this passage alone, he talked about seeking God. That seek after God. He encouraged Judah to seek after God. He said, we have peace. By the way... The father before him, Rehoboam, had war with Jeroboam. Abijah had war with Jeroboam. The, both of their reigns was filled with war. Why? Because they didn't seek after God. They tried to make decisions in their own strength, their own abilities, and they failed. And they had no rest in the land. Now here is Rehoboam and the, or, um, Asa. And the very first thing he did was seek after God. And God gave him peace. It's amazing how God can do that. When people are so frustrated. And they're so anxious. And they're so worried. And they're so uptight. How seeking after God. And actually seeking for him. Really can make a, a just an amazing difference. And God can give peace. In your land. In your heart. In your world. He can give peace. God is a great God. So many times you almost look at Christians and say, where is the peace that God promised? Where is the joy that God promised? It's available. But we've lost the ability, the will, the desire to seek after him. And again, God is placing emphasis how many times he is saying, seek after God. They sought after God. He's placing an emphasis, look at what happened. Two kings had wars. Here's a king that sought after, sought after God. And God gave him rest. He gave him peace. This isn't by accident. God is trying to pin this to encourage the people to seek after him. Now, of course, Asa, when he's seeking after God, we talk about waiting on God, seeking after God. That doesn't mean you stand still. 
That means you move forward in being obedient to what God has given you to do. So as he's seeking after God and encouraging others to seek after God, they cleaned up the kingdom. They got rid of the false little G gods. They got rid of the false worship, the horrible uh, things that were in the kingdom. They cleaned them out and God gave them peace because they sought after God. Notice if you don't mind, we see something else here that... We see that Asa sought after the Lord early and received peace. But we also see that Asa cried to the Lord and received deliverance. Asa cried out to the Lord and received deliverance. Now what happened is that there was an army from Ethiopia that had come up. And they came to threaten Asa and the kingdom of Judah. Let's read about it if you don't mind in 2 Chronicles chapter 14 starting at verse number 9. And there came against them Zerah the Ethiopian with a host of a thousand thousand and three hundred chariots and came to Mishareth. Now, here's a little kingdom that has been torn in thirds. So the two thirds are somewhere else. You're one third left. You've been in wars and armies for two different kings. Now you have rest and they're trying to build. But here is an army with a thousand thousand. That's a lot of people. And seeing all of this group of people surrounding them, they understood they could not win the battle themselves. So what did they do? Verse number 11. And Asa cried unto the Lord his God. Notice the personal pronoun. I love it when you have the personal pronouns there. He wasn't just talking to a God or the God. He was talking to his God. There was a personal relationship, an intimate relationship. And Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help. Oh, I love that. One of my favorite encouragements on prayer comes from the gospel records where you had the Syrophoenician woman who's tried to speak to Jesus Christ. And remember, that as she approached Jesus Christ, that he at first ignored her. So the disciples were sending him away. And then Jesus finally addressed and said, it's not meat to take a... To uh, give meat to the children and give to the dogs. And what did she say? Lord, just a crumb. It's nothing, Lord. All I need to heal my daughter is just a crumb. You know, when we realize that God's power is so immense and so amazing that it is nothing to God to answer our prayers. We may think we're facing something so big and overwhelming that we even get to the place where we doubt if God can do it. But then we look at God. When you look at God, you see how big he is. Our problems are so small. And Asa saw this huge army of a thousand thousand. And he said, God, it's nothing. Nothing at all for you to take care of them. That's because we're looking at God, seeing how big he is. We need to look past our circumstances to the God of the circumstances. When you look at your circumstances, they're right there and they're so big. But when you learn how to seek after God and look past it, you see the big God behind him. This seems so small. And as he's crying out to God, he is saying, it is nothing uh, with thee to help. It is nothing, just a crumb. No big deal at all. This army is too much for me, but it is nothing for you to handle. That's the faith in the God that we have, seeking after him. It is nothing to you, God. 
Oh, I'm glad we could pray big prayers, impossible prayers. It is nothing for thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee. By the way, this comes with that seeking after God. That when you seek after God, you could rest in him no matter what the circumstances. The circumstances do not determine your joy. God determines your joy. You need to be above the circumstances looking at him. As long as God is on the throne, you can rejoice and you can joy no matter what the circumstances may be. He says, we rest on thee. And in thy name, we go out against this multitude, O Lord. Thou art our God. Let no man prevail against thee. So what happened because of this prayer? So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Now, again, put this in perspective. Here is an army with a thousand thousand. That's a lot of people. And they have a small little army. But remember, God plus one is a majority. And so as they went out by faith, trusting and resting in God, God had them all flee. Can you imagine all those people fleeing from just a couple people? And they ran scared because those Ethiopians thought they were going to die. God did that. It was not the army of Jerusalem. It was not the well-trained soldiers of Judah. It was God. And God is able to do such things. To defeat an undefeatable foe. Verse number 13. And Asa and the people that were with him pursued him unto Gear. And the Ethiopians were overthrown. That they could not recover themselves. For they were destroyed before the Lord. And before his host. And they carried away much spoil. Oh, what a wonderful God that we have. That God is a God who's able to hear and answer prayers and help us in our time of need. What we're seeing here is that Asa learned this principle of seeking after God. That when he sought after God, he got peace. When he cried out to God, he got deliverance. Notice, if you don't mind, as we come to chapter 15 again, we see that Asa had the people seek the Lord And they received revival. By the way, all prayer is is asking and the answer to prayer is receiving. So as Asa sought the Lord, he received peace. As he cried out to the Lord, he received deliverance. As he had the people seek after God, the land received revival. Now, we had already read uh, chapter 15, the first part, but let's hit it again. Notice it starts out with a preacher that's filled with God's spirit, verse number one. And the spirit of God came unto Ezariah, the son of Odin. And he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him... He will forsake you. Now for a long season, Israel had been without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when they in their troubles did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of him. Now remember, they're given a commentary that the last two kings and half of the king before that, Solomon, Rehoboam, and Abijah, none of them, (laughs) towards Solomon's reign on, were seeking after God. Hey, but 
trouble hit, they, didn't, they knew they could call upon God and every once in a while God would help them out. But for the most part, they had been without the land, without God, without people seeking after God, without doing what's right. Now's a time, not only for Asa the king to seek after God, but now's a time for the people themselves to seek after. Verse number five. And in those times there was no peace to him that went out nor that came in, but great vexation were upon the inhabitants of the country. Now notice with me in verse eight, as Asa responds to the preacher. And when Asa heard these things and the prophecy of Obed the prophet, he took courage and put away the abominable idols out of the land of Judah and Benjamin, and out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim, and renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin, and the strangers that were with him in Ephraim, and Manasseh, and out of Simeon, for they fell to him out of Israel in abundance. Why? When they saw that the Lord his God was with him. Now notice, these people were just waiting for someone to walk with the Lord. They were waiting for someone to seek after him. Some preacher once told D.L. Moody and said, uh, Mr. Moody, how can I get people to come and hear me preach? How can I get more people come to the church? D.L. Moody said, listen, if you set yourself on fire, people will come to watch you burn. Here is someone who learned to get a hold of God. And that attracted people. People came. Why? Because here was someone who sought after God and learned and taught others to seek after God. And there were other people out there who wanted the same thing. And when they finally found there was a place that was seeking after God, they wanted to come. Praise the Lord. That's encouragement, isn't it? By the way, what does that tell us for the Riverview Baptist Church? We need to be seeking after God. And there are other people out there when they find out there's a church that wants to seek after God, they'll come. They'll come. That's encouragement. That's for free. That's for later on. All right. Verse number 10. So they gathered themselves together at Jerusalem in the third month and the 15th uh, year of the reign of Asa. And they offered unto the Lord the same time of the spoil which they had brought, 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. And they entered into a covenant. Notice this. What did they enter this covenant, this agreement, this promise? To seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all of their soul. And whosoever would not seek the Lord of God of Israel should be put to death, whether great or small or great, whether man or woman. Now, we may not draw that promise <laughs> that far, but isn't it great that they came together and they made an agreement to God. God, we are going to seek after you with all we have. That's not half-hearted. That's not little bit. That's not if it's convenient. We're making a promise, a determination that we're going to seek after God. Isn't that a, no wonder God brought revival. This wasn't forced reform. It wasn't changing of laws. It was a change of heart as people were seeking after God and it made a difference in the land. Notice if you don't mind, verse number 14, carrying the finish of the promise. And they swear unto the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets and the cornets and all Judah rejoiced at the oath. For they have sworn with all their heart and sought him with their whole desire. And what happened? And he was found of them. And the Lord gave them rest round about. 
Now, if you're not careful, you might come to the notion that God is putting an emphasis on seeking after him. How many times in these two chapters so far has it talked about seeking after him, seeking after him, seeking after him, seeking after him? It's almost like God wants people to seek after him. Over and over he's placing an emphasis and saying, here's a group of people. Here's a leader. Here is people that have found seeking after him works. And that if you seek after him, he will be found. And by the way, when you have him, you have victory. When you have him, you have finances. When you have him, you have grace. When you have him, you have mercy. When you have him, you have rest. All those things are byproducts. The goal is God. When you have goal, you God, you have all the rest of it. It is seeking after Him. He's the desire. He's what we should have. It's all about God. Seeking after Him. If we want revival, we have to be serious about it. Notice something here. Verse number 16. And also considering Mekah, the mother of Asa, the king, he removed her. This is his mother. He removed her from being queen because she had an idol in a grove. And Asa cut down her idol and stamped it out and burnt it at the brook Kidron. Now here is his mother. Oh, it's just mom. No, no, no. We're trying to have revival. And let me tell you, we can't have revival and say we're seeking after God when in my backyard, my mom is serving a false god in a wicked, evil grove. And we explained groves earlier. This is not right. And so he removed her from being queen. You're no longer queen. I'm removing you from your post. You're no longer queen. You're no longer queen mother. You no longer have any official title. You're done. And then he took his idol took the grove, burnt them, stamped them out, destroyed them. Why? Why would he do that? Why wouldn't he just say, it's just mom, just let mom be mom? Because he wanted revival. You cannot have revival half-heartedly. We have to be serious about following God completely if we want revival. This is what's happening here. They were receiving revival, but revival does not happen by half-hearted measures. Revival does not come unless we're seeking God with all of our heart, with all of our mind. With all of our soul. It is God that brings revival. But there's an expectation that we're being obedient to him. And seeking after him. For him to pour out his presence and his spirit. And his power upon his land. We talk about 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14 quite often. Because that's what we need in order to have revival. If my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. Well, there's a problem. We don't like to humble ourselves. Humble themselves and pray. There's the other problem. We don't like to pray. And seek my face. And turn from their wicked ways. And then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. You understand if we want revival, that comes with a seriousness of seeking after God. A seriousness of praying. A seriousness of turning from our wicked ways. A seriousness of humbling ourselves. Asa and Jude at this time received revival. Because they sought God completely. 
And they were willing to do what it took to be obedient to the Lord. You know, if we allow things to get in our way, now I'm just preaching to myself, you just listen in. If we allow things to get in our way, we won't have revival. If we say, you know, I know I need to pray more, but this is in the way, this is in the way. If we're not willing to move those things out of the way, we're not going to have revival. We're not going to have God's presence poured out and to see things change. God turned the world upside down and he's done it before. The problem is, is that we're not willing to lift the barriers because they're too inconvenient to us. We don't want to fight the fights. We don't want to come with all the things that go with actually getting that out of the way. And thus, we don't have revival. Why don't we have revival? Because we don't want it. Sounds good, but we're not willing to do the work of seeking God's face, of turning from our wicked ways, of humbling ourselves, of praying, and we missing out. God says, I'm here and I'm available. And we say, I know you are. I'll get to you eventually. And we miss out on what God could be doing. By the way, if you miss out long enough, your heart will turn cold. And instead of seeking after God, you'll start trusting in your own strength. And unfortunately, that happened to Asa. Now, it's amazing. Here's Asa who sought after God and they got peace. Sought after God and had deliverance. Sought after God and they had revival. But as time went on, and his heart started to not burn so hot for the Lord. Asa relied on others and received wars. Asa relied on others and received wars. Notice with me in 2 Chronicles chapter 16. 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and notice with me verse 1. And in the 6th and 30th year of the reign of Asa, Basha king of Israel came up against Judah and built Ramah to the intent that he might let none go out or come into Asa king of Judah. Now, basically the king of Israel got tired of all the people of the north coming down south where they were right with God. And so what he did is he built himself a nice little uh, fortress at um, border patrol and wasn't letting anyone come from Israel to go into Judah. Nope, you're not going to have it. I'm going to keep you inside of our country. I don't want you escaping to go serve their God down there. Now notice with me in verse number two. Now, you would expect noticing from chapter 14 and chapter 15 that Asa would say, listen, God... You could see he's blocking people off. You take care of them. But chapter uh, 16 and verse 2 says a different account. Chapter uh, 16 verse 2. Then Asa brought out silver and gold out of the treasuries of the house of the Lord. So what he did is he took from the uh, bank accounts of God's house, the temple, and of the king's house, and send it to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria. Now, Syria is the country north of Israel. So you would have Judah on the south, then you would have Israel above them, and then Syria. So what he did is he sent this money to Syria, the northern kingdom, and says, hey, why don't you go down and attack Israel, so that way they can't worry about their southern border, they got to go take care of you. What he did is he said, he depended on someone else to get the job. Now, couldn't he have prayed and God taken care of it? Absolutely. 
But this time he decided, I'm going to let someone else take care of it. Verse number uh, two again. And Asa brought out of the silver and the gold of the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, that dwelt at Damascus, saying, There is league between me and thee, and there was between my father and thy father. Behold, I have sent thee silver and gold. Go break thy league with Basha, king of Israel, that he may depart from me. And Ben-Hadad hearkened unto the king of Asa and sent to the captains of the army against the cities of Israel. And they smote Aijan and Dan and Abelam and all of the store cities of Nephtali. And it came to pass when Basha heard that he left building off Ramah and let his work cease. Then Asa the king took all Judah and they carried away the stones of Ramah and the timber thereof wherewith Basha was building, and he built with it Gabia in Mizpah. And at that time, Hananiah the Syria, Syria er, came to Asa, uh, king of Judah. Now let me pause here. So the, Israel comes to bother Judah. Uh, Asa sends money to Syria, says, hey, we're friends. Why don't you go attack them and uh, I'll pay you for it. Sure, no problem. So he goes ahead and attacks them. As the king of Israel went north, left that fort city undefended, they went and took all the construction supplies, took it for themselves, and built other cities. Now at this time... Asa's feeling pretty proud of himself. <laughs> that was a great plan. I'm glad I thought of it. Oh man, we showed him. That is great. It worked out wonderful. Everyone's singing my praises. Everyone's saying, look how smart the king is. He's really enjoying the glory and the honor out of it. Until God sends a preacher to go tell him that things aren't quite right. Notice with me in verse 7. And at that time, Hananiah the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria, and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of king Syria escaped out of thy hand. Let's pause here. Syria is going to become a future bad guy and a plague to both Israel and Judah from now on. Over and over. And God says, listen, I lined Syria up for you to destroy him. But instead of coming to me and letting me take care of it, you've now strengthened him up. And now he's going to haunt you and your people forever. This is going to be a big deal. It's your fault. Now, at this time, Asa was feeling pretty happy with himself. But the problem is with our own intellect and our own decision making is we don't have all the facts. He didn't know that he was helping someone who was going to be his greatest enemy. He didn't know that this was going to be a big deal. He just thought he had a great creative way of solving the problem himself. When he should have relied upon God. Notice as the preacher goes on in verse number 8. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubians a huge host with many, very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them into thine hand. Now remember, they had a thousand, thousand people out there. And they had a small army. They cried out to God and God delivered and he took care of them. God said, you remember when that happened? You could have very easily done the same thing and let me take care of them. But instead... You wanted to do things yourself. Verse number 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfect to him. Now, 
he said, listen, God is looking for reasons and looking for ways to be a blessing. He's looking for ways to help you out. He's looking for ways to deliver. He's just looking for you to seek after him. He's waiting to prove himself over and over that God is real. God is real. God answers prayer. God works. He does the impossible. But you wanted to do things your own way. Notice what he said in the end of verse 9. Herein thou hast done foolishly. Therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Listen, because you did it your way, because you thought you could figure it out, you're going to have wars now. This is what you brought in. You didn't seek after God. And so therefore you only got what man can produce. God produces peace. Man produces war. You could have depended on God and had more peace. But instead you try to do it yourself. You messed everything up. Now there's wars. Good job. Now how do you think Asa responded to this? Well, that shows us the last thing here. Asa disregarded God's message and received disease. Now here's Asa who sought after God. But there's something nasty and evil about pride. Especially when you think that you're right. That's the worst pride. I'm right and you should acknowledge it. You should acknowledge how great I am. How smart I am. And you know it's one thing when you really mess up. And it looks to everyone else that you messed up. It's a little bit easier. It's still hard to swallow. But you can't argue. But when you think you did a good job and you think that you did it right and you think that you managed to get everything right and everyone's singing your praises and saying how great you are, it is very, very hard to accept criticism and correction at that time. So here's Asa full of pride and the preacher came, the man of God came and told him that he was full of pride that, or that he did foolishly. He should have trusted in God, but instead he trusted himself and there's going to be consequences for it. Well, Asa did not like that message. Notice with me verse 10. And Asa was wroth with the seer and put him in prison, in a prison house, for he was in a rage with him because of this thing. You know what he did to the preacher? He threw him in jail. I mean, he's in a rage. He is upset. He is mad. How dare him? I did what was right. Look, everyone else acknowledges that I'm right. How dare you say I'm wrong? Put him in jail. And I don't want to see him. I just He was upset. He's mad. He is angry. Because someone dared to tell him he was wrong. Someone dared to say that his victory was not a true victory after all. But notice this. And Asa oppressed some of the people the same time. Now it's starting to carry out. Instead of him being a blessing to the people, he's being a hindrance to people. Why? Because of his pride and his pride is hurt. And in order to make his pride feel better, he's got to damage someone else. This is a bad place to be at. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Now Asa, instead of having revival, has pulled back. And now he's receiving curse, and wars, and disease. Notice with me in verse number 12. And Asa was in the thirty and ninth year of his reign, 
uh, in the 30 and ninth year of his reign was diseased in his feet until his disease was exceedingly great. So he started to have a disease in the feet and it started to spread and started to spread until it was debilitating. But notice this, yet in his disease, he sought not to the Lord, but to the physicians. Once again, we have this idea of seeking after God, but this time he didn't seek after God. He's trusting in doctors. By the way, we're not against doctors. We're thankful for them. But we understand that we should be seeking after God, that God would give wisdom and discernment to the doctors. We're not putting our entire trust in the doctors. We're putting our entire trust in God and that he could use human instrumentality as he sees fit. Our trust is in God. But here, notice this. He, in his disease, he sought not. This carries the idea that he's refusing to seek after God. He knows better. But yet, that pride's still in there. I could do this myself in a disease that is killing him. I could still do this myself. It's fine. I don't need to ask God. It's no big deal. It was a very big deal. Do you know that if he sought after God, God could have even delivered him from his disease? He could have. He may have done something else. But here is a man who lived right with God for a long time. But towards the end... He said, you know what? I don't need to seek after God. I've got things handled. I'm used to knowing how things work. I got things on my own. And he did not finish right. Which leads us here to this idea. We have to seek after God. God is not a God who's always hiding from us. He just wants us to put forth the effort and work to look for him. And if we do, he promises over and over that he would be found. How many times have we tried to do things in our own life? You say, preacher, how can I know that I'm doing things on my own? That's a great question. How can I know that I'm doing things on my own? Are you praying? Are you praying? Think about how many things we do on a daily basis that we don't ask God about. We don't seek after God for. Decisions that we make. We don't even realize how big decisions we actually make and how they're going to affect. We just, I got this. Are you praying? When you think about that it's the Lord's house and that God grows the church. How do we know that God's growing the church? That God's going to do things? That God's doing it? Are we praying? Or are we trying to do it ourselves by our own strength? You know, man can get some things accomplished, but there are th- we don't want what man can get accomplished. We want what God can get accomplished. Are we trusting him? Are we praying? Are we seeking after him? Are we begging after him? Are we seeking him? Is it more of a token prayer, God? You take care of it, thank you, and then move on our way? That's not seeking after God. What about the things in your life? You have issues. I'm at big circumstances that look impossible. The thousand thousands. Do you give just a token prayer? God, take care of this. Bye. Or are you seeking after him? God, you have to do this. We have to have you or I die. Lord, if you don't do it, it's not going to be done. And we miss out on these amazing big prayers because our God is amazing and he is so big and they're small in him. And all we're left is what we can do ourselves, 
and watch ourselves mess it up. Are you seeking after God? From time to time, we bring up the idea of what big impossible prayer are you praying? Are you still praying? I had someone the other day show me the rock that I gave a couple years ago. Meaning that we gave little rocks out. Just as a little reminder, a little uh, nice little stone. Just a reminder, are you praying for big prayers? Are you praying for the impossible? Are you seeking after God? Are you seeking after God? Are you going, are you still praying those impossible prayers? Or do you say, ah, I give up. Eh, didn't help. Oh, I'm tired of praying. No wonder we are missing out on so much. Our God can do the impossible without a doubt. Are we a seeking people? That's the story that we find in Asa. That if you seek after him, he will be found. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now, we're not talking about losing your salvation. We're not talking about that he's ripping out the presence. What we are talking about is that if you don't want to ask him for things, you're going to be stuck with your own devices, your own consequences, whatever else. His hands up. Listen, I could have done more for you if you sought for me. I don't know about you, but I get tired of just seeing what man can get accomplished. When I say that, I'm speaking to myself. I'm tired of seeing what I can get accomplished. Because <laughs> it doesn't stack up. Let's be a seeking people. And by the way, we can have revival in this little place here. With us, if we become the seeking people we ought to be. Are you a seeking person? God made you a promise that if you seek after him, he shall be found. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.